0: And Father, that is the distinctive prayer of our hearts that the love that You have created in us would be returned back to You. Help us to be gentle in spirit and servant-minded. Help us to be pliable and humble. And so, as we open Your Word now and exalt it and rivet our hearts to it, I pray that You'll bless Travis, honor his preparation, and I pray that You would free him as we hear your word. And Father, may these words convict us, and may we live differently in a day and an age where the Christian witness and testimony needs to expand greater and more profound. Hear our prayer. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I am super excited about today. Today's launch Sunday, as you know, as has been mentioned, Uh, And that means that it is the day where fall activities kind of start ramping up here at Park City. So you'll start hearing about more things that are going on this fall. One of the things that we're most excited about is our kids' worship. Kids' worship is taking place right now as we speak for the first Sunday. And it's for kindergarten through second grade. It's optional. But many parents have asked us to have something specifically for kids uh, during this hour. And so kids' worship has started for kindergarten through second grade. And we're so excited. Obviously, they're still welcome here. We, we enjoy having children in our worship service. But something special for them uh, will hopefully help them grow in the worship of our Lord and Savior. And we can all get behind that. So that's awesome. I'm excited about it. In my day, we didn't have kids' worship. We, uh, we had a, maybe a, a very sweet, kindly lady with a picture of Jesus, who would then read us a lesson for about 45 minutes. That was real hard when you were in kindergarten to just kind of sit still. And you're probably thinking about what happened before you got into class that day, which was maybe you and your friends were playing a game outside, maybe something like King of the Hill. Y'all know King of the Hill, right? Y'all played King of the Hill? It's probably, the best way to look at it now is organized bullying, I think is what King of the Hill actually is. One person stands on top of a mound of dirt or a mound of grass, and the other children try to run up the hill and push him or her off of the top, and then he's now subjected to the bullying uh, that takes place. The great thing about King of the Hill is it's a fun game. It can get a little intense, but we kind of transfer the rules of King of the Hill to like actual life lessons, right? We actually think in terms of king of the hill there's somewhere we want to be there's something we want to do there's something we want to take possession of and we think that in order to get that and when we get that we'll be happy and so we we try and climb that hill and usually there's somebody in that spot there's somebody in that place that we want and if you were like me in places where you grew up maybe you were told you've got to fight for your happiness You've got to fight. You've got to get in there. You've got to make yourself known. You got to be. If you want to be top of the organizational chart, if you want to be CEO or CFO, you've got to fight. You've got to step on people to climb that ladder. If you want to be the best parent ever, you've got to make other parents look bad, so you've got to put on a better birthday party than they put on. You've got to climb that hill and push other people off of it. We're often told to fight for what we want. And maybe you feel pressure to do that. Maybe you work in an environment that's incredibly cutthroat. You live in an environment that's incredibly cutthroat. Our world today is incredibly cutthroat. We're told to fight. But Jesus, as we continue studying the Beatitudes and talking about the Beatitudes, he gives us another way to do things. And of all the Beatitudes, of all of his statements, I don't think this is just the most counterintuitive one. I think it's the one we look at the most and think, really? Like, really? We're going to talk today in Matthew 5, 5. That's the text we're going to be in. And it's, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We're going to look at this passage, and I hope we'll see that gentleness is actually a way, which that's what meekness is. It's gentleness. Gentleness is an actual way we can go about living our life and getting what we want out of it. Gentleness is a viable option for getting what you want. So what we're going to see is we're going to see one thing that we believe that gentleness reveals that proves to be a lie, and then we're going to see two things that gentleness actually reveals and proves to be true. So the first thing we think is that being gentle reveals a weakness. Being gentle reveals weakness. This is what we think. So first century Judaism, which is the audience that Jesus is speaking to as the Sermon on the Mount begins, in Matthew 5, 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. First century Judaism would have heard this and would have known that Jesus wasn't making an original statement. They would have also known that they were not really in control of their own property, that they did not have the earth, the land that they wanted. You see, first century Judaism was in the middle of a grander game of king of the hill, and they weren't the ones on top of the hill. The Romans were there. The Romans were the ones on top of the hill, and they were being subjugated by the Romans at the time. And so Jesus, when he makes this statement, is actually entering into a very long and lengthy discussion on how do we function under Roman occupation, and how do we get what has been promised back to us. And he's actually quoting Psalm 37, verse 11, which actually says, The meek will inherit the earth. And this entire psalm that he's quoting is about the righteous being upheld by God and being restored that which was promised to them, which is the land, the promised land, being given back to them. Also in this uh, psalm is the right, the unrighteous, those who are holding the land unjustly, the oppressors, will be cut off. They'll be destroyed. So clearly you see why this would have been a, a okay, cool, cool statement. I like this. But also in that psalm, God tells his people to be still, to wait, and to trust him to work on their behalf. And that's really hard to do for a first century Jew who would have looked around and seen nothing but oppression and subjugation and foreign powers for the last 500 years. It Started with Assyria, then Babylon, then Persia, then the Greeks, and now it's the Romans. And out of this whole sort of situation— comes different factions, different groups that have different ideas about how they're going to get the land back, how they're going to inherit the earth. First, you have the Herodians, named after kind of their guy, Herod, and they were all about getting whatever scraps the Romans left behind. So whatever power they could kind of weasel their way into, they were all about it. They would cooperate with the Romans. They didn't care. They just wanted the scraps of power, and that's why they thought they would get what they wanted. The Sadducees were kind of the aristocrats. They were also people that pared down their religious beliefs to just the first five books of the Bible. Anything out of that didn't matter. They were in control of the temple, so the only piece of land that they really cared about was the Temple Mount, and as long as they had control of that, eh, we're happy. We're in good shape. Then you have the Pharisees, our favorite favorite group of guys there. They believed in full-on quarantine. We're not going to interact with the Romans. We're going to take Psalm 31, 37 literally. We're not gonna, we're going to be the righteous. We're going to be set apart. And we're not going to cooperate, co- cooperate with the Romans at all. The problem is that their hearts were far from God. And even though they seemed to be righteous on the outside, they weren't. And then you have the zealots. The zealots, we would probably just call them Terrorists. That's who they were. And Jesus actually has a zealot as one of his 12 disciples. One of the founders of the church was a terrorist. His name's Simon. And the zealot's philosophy for dealing with the Romans was to just kill them all. If they're all dead, they're all gone. And that was their philosophy. And none of them, no matter what group you decided to join, whatever political party you decided to support, None of them, the first plank in their platform, none of them said, be gentle. None of them said, step one on getting the land back. Let's all be kind. Let's all be meek. Because that's what meekness is. It's gentleness. In the Old Testament when the word is used and in the New Testament when the word is used, it's never used in the context of war, of manipulation, of greed, or of violence. To be meek is to be gentle. Gentle. And so many of us, when we're faced with opposition, we think gentleness is actually just weakness. It's just weakness. It's being a wuss. That's what we think. And so when we come to Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 5, and he says, blessed are the meek or happy are the gentle because they're going to get what they want, we look at it and think, you know, Jesus, sure would be nice if that was true. But in my experience and in my world, that's not what takes place, because we hear Jesus' words and we don't believe it. We don't really believe it, and I know we don't believe it because we're really not a gentle people. We're not a gentle people. We think that to get whatever we want, we have to fight fire with fire. Somebody comes at us with angry words and a temper, what do we do? Right back at him, angry words and a temper. Somebody threatens us personally, and what do we do? We go right back with another threat. If somebody wants to hit us, which hopefully that doesn't happen to you, we're ready to hit back, right? Or we're going to lawyer up. We're going to sue you if you do anything to me. Somebody threatens our way of life, and we start donating to organizations and nonprofits that are going to support what we believe to be right, even if those groups maybe aren't the most gentle group of people, but they're going to protect our rights. We are not a gentle people, because we believe that gentleness reveals weakness. We think that to get whatever we want, we have to fight for it. For the Jews, it was the land. That's what they wanted, and they believed that they had to take different paths to get it, and there were different ideas. For us, what we want can look like a whole host of things, but the principle, the the means to getting that is still the same. i got to fight for it. i got to elbow people out of the way. I'm willing to step on anybody that gets in my way. We're just like the factions in Jesus' day who would have heard him say that and said, yeah, that's probably true, it's in Scripture. But when you get down to brass tacks, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We tell God, God, I know you'll fight for me, but I got this one. I can take care of this. And it's because we confuse weakness with gentleness. We like to think strength comes in force of arms or in force of will, we like expressions like carpe diem, right? Carpe diem is something that people get tattooed on their body or they have as like a, like a mantle in their home. right? A little, nobody tattoos Matthew 5-5 on their body. Nobody's like, man, I'm humble. Hey, what's up? Nobody does that. We like words like carpe diem. We like poems like Invictus where I'm the captain of my vessel. We like things like that. We don't like to be meek, and it's, again, because we confuse gentleness with weakness. We think they're the same thing. Jesus, however, is very serious about it. He gives us this beatitude, this proverb, this statement on how to be happy, and then he backs it up later on in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew 5, verse 38. He says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Look, I don't think we should be doormats. And I think if you're being abused or attacked, by all means, you should get out of that situation. You may even need to defend yourself on occasion. But far too often, we are too quick to look at Jesus' words here in Matthew 5 and think, I will not do that. I'll defend myself rather than allowing the Lord to do it. And the reason why Jesus is so serious about this is because he has a fundamental understanding and appreciation of gentleness that we don't have. You see, we think gentleness reveals weakness, but Jesus Jesus thinks gentleness reveals strength. Gentleness reveals strength. It reveals strength because it has to be used by strong people. Gentleness can only be used by people with strength. If you're weak, you can't be gentle, and the reason why is because it's not gentleness then. You don't have a choice you just have to go along with everything but if you're strong you have control you have a way of doing things the word in English gentle means strength under control and maybe you've heard this before but the best example is a horse that has been tamed and bridled a horse is a symbol of power right when you're talking about a car that you have you talk about it having x number of horsepower right Nobody's like, well, I've got a new car and it has like one million gerbil power. <laughs> Nobody does that. I don't know what the ratio, of one horse equals like 100 gerbils maybe? I don't, I don't know what the, what the ratio is there. But gerbils, sorry, horses, are seen as really strong and powerful. But that strength is useless if it's not under control. If you can't actually ride the horse, to make it go in the direction you want, that's not useful strength. That's terrifying strength. And some of you, that's how you live your life. You've never learned to control your strength. You've never learned to be gentle. And so you're like the Incredible Hulk, man. You're just going through and smashing everything. And you look at your life and you've gotten what you've wanted. You've climbed the mountain, you're successful. Congratulations. Except we look back over your life and we just see a a, a swath of destruction Broken hearts and broken people. This room is full of people who are influencers, leaders in our community. How we lead and how we use our strength matters. It matters. We need to be gentle people because being gentle is advantageous for us. It reveals a strength. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to give us four biblical examples of places where the Bible makes it clear that being gentle is actually advantageous to the one being gentle. So the first thing we see is that gentleness diffuses anger. Gentleness diffuses anger. One of my favorite comic strips as a kid, it's still one of my favorite comic strips, is Calvin and Hobbes. It's a story of a little boy who has an imaginary stuffed tiger. And there's one panel, it's just four panels, uh, one strip where Calvin's standing at the bus stop and he's second grader. He's standing with his arms crossed and he's all mad like this. And the girl in the neighborhood comes up to the bus stop, her name's Susie Jenkins, and she's like, hi Calvin, how are you today? And he's just, Humph. he's mad. And then for the next two panels, she goes off on him about being rude and being, not being kind to people. And then Calvin at the end looks, and then she's all mad at, at, at the end of it, so they're both kind of, you know, they're like this. And at the end, Calvin kind of looks at the reader and says, Nothing really helps a bad mood like spreading it around. <laughs> and that's how anger works, right? Anger is one of those emotions, a lot like other emotions, I guess, that feeds on the emotions of other people. If people around you are angry, typically you're like, yeah, I'm mad too. What are we mad about? You know? Like, I'm ready. Let's, let's fight. If somebody's mad at you, what's our response? Get mad right back. There's actually a a term for this. It's called mirror neurons. There are things you are hardwired that when somebody responds to you or when somebody does something to you, you're hardwired to want to match their emotion. You're designed that way. So you have to be conscientious about the fact that your natural bent is to respond the way somebody is coming at you. Anger is like a fire. It's like a strange fire. It doesn't burn it isn't, isn't fueled by wood or anything like that. It's fueled by other anger, by other fire. But Proverbs 15.1 tells us that one of the ways we can put out that fire is to be gentle. Some of you have probably memorized this. But Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That word wrath there is a Hebrew word for fire or heat. You don't have to live your life in a burning building. You can actually diffuse the anger around you by being gentle. So if you want to be happy this week, be a firefighter. Start putting out fires around you. You can be gentle and kind. And maybe you should start with yourself. Maybe one of the reasons why you're so angry all the time and you're walking around in a haze is because there's something about you that you don't really like. Maybe you need to start being kind to yourself first and start diffusing that anger. Then move on to the anger that you see around you. Maybe in your home, when others try and and bring up something. Maybe you've got a, a member of your family that's just really difficult to deal with right now. Maybe they're going through a rough season in their own personal life. Be gentle with them. Be kind. The world around you is angry. I don't know if you've noticed this. But it is. I was in a restaurant uh, a couple weeks ago actually and and there was a gentleman who actually just cut in line because there was a friend of his that he was meeting for lunch and it was a fast food place and so he just decided he would go up and meet his friend, not a big deal. Well, one individual in the the line took exception to that and we had dinner and a show at that point (laughs) which was good. Diffusing anger is a good thing for you. Because who wants to walk around life with a bunch of angry people all the time? If you can diffuse the anger around you, you can put people at peace and at ease. And that's a good thing. That's an advantage for you. Gentleness also diminishes conflict. It diminishes conflict. The nice thing about being in church, and one of the things that I love about being in church, is that we never really fight about anything. (laughs) We don't ever have any disagreements about anything at all. We never get upset about styles of worship or colors of carpet and things like that. No, we have a lot of disagreements. And no matter how godly or ungodly a group of people is, there will be conflict. That's one of the things about living in our fallen world. We kind of rub up against each other. And I think on the whole, especially here at Park Cities, I think we do a pretty good job of handling conflict. But even in the early church, there was conflict. Look in Acts 6 chapter 1 or Acts 6 verse 1. but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. This could have been a whole hotbed of ungentleness. The Hellenists, the Greeks, could have gone to the disciples, the apostles, and been like, y'all, there is racism happening in our church. That's what it is. The Hebrew widows are being taken care of over the Greek widows. That's racist. They could have gotten really upset and really mad about it, the apostles, Peter especially, could have been like, who do you think you are? Jesus told me I'm a rock. I'm in charge of this. Don't don't come to me with this business. I don't have time for this. His response when he said, we shouldn't give up the preaching of the word to serve tables, the Hellenists, the Greeks could have been like, golly, that Peter's kind of a jerk doesn't have time to take care of our personal needs, even though he's come up with a solution. We want him to take care of it, not shove us off on some other people. Everybody could have gotten really angry in the middle of this. But it's diminished. The conflict is reduced. One, because there's wisdom. But two, because because of gentleness. Because of gentleness. Conflict is diminished because of gentleness. And this gentleness can actually help you diminish conflicts around you in your home some of you have been married for a lot of years and you've been having the same fight for a lot of years maybe gentleness might be a way to finally end that battle or at least reduce the amount of impact that it has it's going to be a stressful time of year kids going back to school emotions nerves are going to be raw Maybe by being gentle, when somebody, maybe your children, get a little flustered, maybe by being gentle, you can actually reduce the amount of conflict and make your mornings a little easier when you're trying to get out the door. In your workplace, departments, right? Different departments, we conflict with one another, right? Maybe by being gentle, you can get ahead of the conflict and solve that problem. In our world, Maybe we could show our world a new way to speak that's not as angry and is more gentle and kind with each other. Gentleness is a strength. It's to your advantage because it's a way for you to be heard and not just win arguments, but actually end conflict. You can actually put something to rest, and that's a good thing. Gentleness also demonstrates faith. It demonstrates faith, I'm not going to read this passage. It's in Esther 5 if you want to go there uh, later and read the whole story of Esther. But Esther is a Jewish woman who, through a certain set of circumstances, is made queen over Persia. And she gets wind of this plot by one of the high officials in the court that he's going to kill all of the Jews. His name's Haman. And so rather than flying into the chambers of the king and saying, Honey, you've got to put a stop to this, which would have gotten her in trouble anyway, she's a person of faith. She approaches the king gently and humbly and says, "I'd like to have dinner with you and the man who's trying to kill everybody." She doesn't say that exactly. And they have a series of of dinners and then finally she brings it up to the king. This man is seeking to do your servants harm. And she saves her people through gentleness because her gentleness evidences her faith. God works through her gentleness to brings deliverance. If we're not gentle, We show that we are not necessarily people of faith. Esther speaks up in a gentle way. And she's not gentle because she's a woman. She's gentle because she's a person of faith. It's because she's strong. When you're gentle, you show that your God fights for you. Maybe one of the reasons that you can't see God working in your life is because you're so busy kicking up a dust storm because you're fighting so much and you're striving so much that you can't see God working because you're like Pen from the, uh, the Snoopy comics. There's just dust around you constantly, and you just can't see anything. But when we're gentle, when we're calm and relaxed, we can see God working, and it demonstrates our faith, and our faith can be reinforced, and that's how it's an advantage to us if we sit back and watch. Lastly, gentleness also reveals love. It displays love I'm going to read Matthew 21, verse 5 to you. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That word humble there is the same word for meek in Matthew 5, verse 5. In fact, Matthew is the only writer in the New Testament who uses this word other than Peter who uses it one time. And I guarantee you that when you're reading Matthew 21, he wants you to think about Matthew 5, 5. Oh, Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Oh, here he comes. He's being meek. This is the triumphal entry. Everybody's cheering and screaming the name of Jesus, celebrating him, and here he comes, meek and gentle. By the end of the week, Jesus' gentleness will be put to the ultimate test, and he'll be hauled away to be crucified. Even though he could have stopped them, he didn't. Even though he was incredibly powerful, In fact, when they come to arrest him, he says, I'm the one you're looking for, and everybody just falls over. He's like, what's wrong, guys? You got a problem? Like, come on, I'm the one you're looking for, and they fall over again. Jesus clearly at any point could have put a stop to the crucifixion, but he doesn't, because gentleness displays love. He is gentle, and he goes to the cross out of love for you and love for me. It demonstrates our love, his love for us. And so, gentleness for us as well demonstrates love for other people. Some of you don't know how to show other people you love them. You never learned. Maybe start by being gentle. Husbands, be gentle with your wives. Even maybe more gentle than you think you need to be. And not because they're frail or brittle or anything like that, but because that's what you're called to do. Ephesians 5 tells us, that Christ, we are here to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And we just said he loved her gently, so we're called to do the same. Ladies, wives, be gentle with your husbands. Maybe you think, man, I, I, I wish my husband would step up and lead us spiritually in our family. Maybe be gentle with him, encouraging him. Nothing makes me feel like I can do something when my wife comes around me and says, honey, you got this, you can do this, I'm with you. And that makes me feel like I can take on the world. Be gentle with one another. Young adults, children, anybody. Maybe you're in dire need of some encouragement. Rather than, and I've been there. But rather than waiting for somebody to come along and encourage you, maybe you could go and gently encourage other people. A gentle word could be something that they need. Jesus expects us to be gentle in the face of opposition, not because we're weak but because we're strong. Because we're strong. And that's the other thing that gentleness reveals. Gentleness reveals strength, but gentleness also reveals Christ. It reveals Christ. Look with me in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, this is our last uh, passage. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. And I choose this verse because the word for gentle that we see in Matthew 5, 5 appears here as well. Because gentleness reveals Christ because it shows the world where we get our strength from. It shows everyone where we get our strength from. Look at Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus makes a lot of promises to us. A lot. But this is one of my favorites. He offers us rest. Do you know what rest he's offering here? It's not rest from work. It's rest from toil, from struggle, for the endless game of King of the Hill that you have to feel like you play every single day of your life. Jesus says, come to me. We're playing a different game. We're not playing that one. I will give you rest. And you know what happens when you rest? If you come in from a long day and you're tired and you go to bed, what happens when you wake up in the morning? If you've had a good night's sleep, if you've rested, you are refreshed. You are strong yet again. When Jesus Christ gives us his rest, we become strong. Now, for those of you that don't know Jesus, who've never accepted him as your Savior, who've never believed in his death, burial, and resurrection, you have never accepted the fact that he died on the cross for your sins because we're not a gentle people, you don't have access to that rest. You don't have access to that power, but you can. You can have it today. Jesus Christ offers you a gentle place in his kingdom. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is say, I can't work to earn God's forgiveness, but Jesus worked, and he earned it, and he paid for it on the cross, and I believe that. You can have that gentleness today. You can have that peace today with God. If you're already a believer, or you just became one, you do have access to that power. You can turn loose of the king of the hill battle that you're obligated, you feel obligated to fight. You can decide not to let go the first scathing comment that comes to your head, And restrain yourself. Control that strength. Be gentle. You can show that the Lord is your strength. And that by being strong, by being gentle, you're trusting Him to give you what you need and what you want. But if your strength doesn't start and end with the cross, if it doesn't go to the gentle lamb that was slain for you, you're always going to be out there trying to prove how tough you are. And frankly, that's exhausting. That's not rest. That's war, and we are not called to war. So it shows where we get our strength from. It also shows who our example is. Gentleness shows who our example is. It shows our example in how we pursue our happiness. Look at verse 29, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." Jesus' yoke is his teaching. It's the teaching that He revealed in both action and in word, in deed and in word. And Jesus shows us that by going to the cross and dying for your sins and for mine, even though he was strong enough to get out of it, that gentleness is the better way. You are free to pursue happiness and joy in your life. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not free to do that however you see fit. You're not. Jesus pursued the cross for the joy that was set before him you are free to pursue what you choose, but you're not free to choose to do it however you see fit to do it. Let your happiness be marked by gentleness. Because that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be like Christ. We're supposed to be marked by characteristics that remind people of Christ. It's why we get baptized. right? We're doing that September 9th outdoor baptism service. If you have never been baptized, that's a great opportunity for you to get baptized. But the reason why we do baptism, why we go under the water and come back up is because we're identifying with Jesus. His death under the water and his resurrection coming back out. But that doesn't just end there. When we come back out of the water, we're, we want to we tell people we're a new creation. And that means doing things the way that Jesus did them. And one of the ways he did them was gently, being gentle. Bernard Williams, a philosopher, says, we grow a little every time we don't take advantage of somebody's weakness. We grow a little every time we don't take advantage of somebody's weakness. So pursue your happiness, but be gentle about it. Don't run roughshod over anybody that gets in your way. That is not gentleness. Sometimes gentleness isn't just, or sorry, the opposite of gentleness is not just running over people, but it's ignoring them completely because they're an inconvenience. We neglect people. That's also not being gentle ignoring somebody is not gentleness. Jesus did not view people as inconveniences, and neither should we. So Jesus is our example on how we pursue our happiness, but he's also our example on what we pursue for our happiness. Look at verse 30. He says again, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When you take on the yoke of Jesus, when you begin to follow him every day, you're going to notice something. Something's going to happen to you. What you want out of life will change. Whatever you view as king of the hill, getting on top of that mountain, it's gonna change the more closely you follow Christ. And you know what, that's, that's good because when we read, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, we're not reading it the, the way the original audience would have heard it. They would have heard, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. And they would have thought of seaside property on the Mediterranean. That's what they were thinking. But because we have come 2,000 years and we understand the depth of what Jesus promises us, which is a new heaven and a new earth, when he returns, we read it, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We get the whole thing, and God comes and lives with us. And so in your life, as Christ begins to work in your life, you're gonna notice that whatever you consider to be the land will begin to change into something greater and grander and something that Jesus wants for you. And what you really want out of life isn't the land anyway, but it's the earth. It's something greater that Jesus has for you. And when you think about that, it makes sense that Jesus doesn't play the game king of the hill because he is the king of the hill. And he doesn't share it with anyone. And he gently reminds us of that. And he wants gentle people to rule with him. And who better than to rule in an eternal kingdom than those who are gentle. Gentle people make the best rulers, the best leaders. And I know that because Jesus was gentle, and he still is. So, happy people are gentle. And happy people are gentle because ultimately you're gonna get what you want, which is to be happy. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, spoiler alert, the story ends with us all being happy. So be gentle. It's not a weakness, it's a strength. It's controlled strength. Quit trying to get to the top of the hill. And just enjoy the fact that there's a hill at all and there's a king already on it and he has a plan and a purpose for you. And part of that plan is for you to be gentle with others. In so doing that, you'll show the world not just how strong you are or how happy you are, but you'll show the world where you get your strength from and where you get your happiness from. The person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, you have given us not just an example to follow, because another example would be crushing. You have given us a Savior to deliver us from that which is crushing and insurmountable, our sin. And so, God, I pray that today, for those who don't know you, Lord, that today would be the day where they would see you not as a, a, maybe a harsh God or a wrathful God, but a gentle one, and one who wants a relationship with them, who just wants to Welcome them into the family, the family of God. For those of us, Lord, who know you, who've walked with you, Lord God, I pray that you would remind us to be gentle, that you would create in us a spirit of gentleness because it's not natural. It's quite unnatural. We want to respond the way people come at us, but I pray that we would go against what seems natural and that we would be gentle people giving glory and honor to you as our words and our actions are sweet and kind. Pray that we would be strong, but be under control. We ask all this in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm excited to uh, have here the men of Nehemiah who will be uh, helping us through a time of response. So in this time, if you would, reflect on maybe ways you've not been gentle, maybe ways that you could improve in gentleness, and maybe reflect on what God is doing in your life as they lead us.